Amen. Tonight we're going to pick back up on a series we started a few weeks ago, our living series. We talked about living forgiven. We have talked about living persuaded. We talked about living by faith. Tonight we're going to talk a little bit about living generous, living generous. And I want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, beginning at verse number 5. And I will just kind of give you a heads up. I'm probably going to move a little bit quick tonight. So we won't have a lot of time to be returning back and forth in our Bibles, but most all of the scriptures will be on the screen, and Aubrey helped put some slides together for me. So those verses should be up there. Second Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse number 5, it says, Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren, that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof you had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter, a matter of bounty, not as of covetousness. But this I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. So God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward us. Amen. Aren't you thankful God supplies every one of our needs? Amen. As some of you, I'm sure, have experienced over the past years of your life, that when you have learned to live generously, it is one of the best things that you can do to open up the, the avenue or the venue for God's blessings in your life. Giving as some may or may not know, has a supernatural spiritual ramification to it. That giving has supernatural, it, it opens the door for the supernatural blessings in our life. Other people have missed out on the flow of the supernatural because they have closed that door. They have closed that avenue. God, God does not work through them, through their finances, because they have closed that door. Amen. There are over 500 verses in the Bible that talk about prayer. There's close to 500 verses that talk about faith. But listen to this. There are more than 2,000 verses that talk about money and possessions. And Jesus talked about money in 16 of his 38 parables. So clearly from the scripture, looking at the Bible, I think it's important we understand about this, about money, about how to handle it. And money is often the way that God that's usually one of the ways that God uses to test us is through this thing called money. How we handle it, it reveals so much about who we are, how a person handles their money. It reveals their priorities, their loyalties. It speaks to what they are affectionate about. Can you say amen to that? You can tell a lot about a person and their desires by simply where they spend their money. So here's what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He said, lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The last sentence there, that last sentence that I read in verse number 21 it summarizes what I'm talking about here tonight, about living generous. It, 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 you know, it puts it together 
um, this, this uh, about how that we manage the wealth that we have, um, how a person manages their wealth or, or their money. Um, it's a clear indicator of their heart's allegiance. When a person views something, um, when they view money and they view it in the terms of its immediate use and how can I, how can I um, use it in this world, they, they often view that through the, the temporal purposes that money can serve. But there are other people that they look at money through eternal, eternal eyes. They, they see the long-term use, and, and they either have an earthbound perspective or they have a heavenly perspective. So here's what Paul said, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven. I like that verse. He said, our citizenship or our conversation in this particular, in the King James, from which we also eager, eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So according to that statement, wealth is, listen to this, wealth is better reserved for our ultimate destination. You talk about money, you talk about wealth. Well, we have to view money in the perspective that it has a greater purpose than just meeting our temporary uh, short-term needs. But we lay up treasures in heaven. For many, many years, people have come into the United States, immigrants, migrant workers, um, legally or sometimes illegally, maybe more so nowadays illegally. But for years, people have come into the United States and they've worked jobs. And they do that because they know they can make more money in the United States than they can in their native homeland in, in Central America or South America. So they come into America, they get good paying jobs, sometimes they'll work two jobs. And what a lot of people have done over the years from these countries in Central and South America is that they will live off a just a, a small amount of money that they earn, and then they will turn around and they'll send a lion's share of that money back to the country that they're from. They will wire that money. I, I worked in banks for a number of years. I saw it. It's really big in, like, um, California and Texas, people wiring money back to Mexico or other countries. And that's, that's a huge business in those border states because wealth – it follows citizenship. See, and many of the people that came to the country or come to this country to work, and I, I don't know how vast it still is. It's been a while since I've been exposed to it. But, but many of the people that work here in this country, their heart really is not here in America. Their heart is in their native homeland. And so they're sending that money back for future use, that one day they will be able, they'll have a nest egg because they know they can make more money here, but they're sending it back where their heart is. So that's what Jesus is saying. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen. If our citizenship is in heaven, then we're going to be laying up treasure in heaven. Amen. So um, let, me, let me share a few things here about we're talking about living generous tonight and laying up treasure in heaven. And the first thing I would tell you tonight is that giving is always an issue of the heart. Giving is always an issue of the heart. God wants us to be generous, but we have to remember that it's, it's whatever is in our heart. That's what we're going to follow. That's what we're going to do, whether we're talking about money or we're talking about time or ability. You know, sometimes people will do something, even in the kingdom of God, but their heart's really not in it. They'll sing, they'll play, they'll pick up things, they'll, they'll do something, but their heart's not really in it. And whatever we do for God, whatever we contribute to the kingdom, it's a matter of our heart. 
And every man, Paul said in this, our text that we read, verse number 7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. Somebody say cheerful. God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful, it comes from the Greek word hilaris. It's the only time that I found where it's used in the entire New Testament. It literally, literally means joyous. God loves a joyful giver. A, we get our word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. It means someone who is cheerfully ready to act, who, who uh, because they're already approving, they're already inclined, they're already persuaded. It describes spontaneous, non-reluctant giving. So here's what that means. It means it's the kind of giving we give because we believe in it. Oh, I've got to give again. They're taking another offering. It's, it's we give because we believe in the cause of God. We believe in missions. We believe in the work of God. And so we give because we want to. That's the kind of giving it's describing here. It's giving because we want to support the cause. It's, it's not giving because we're being compelled. It's, it's not giving because the preacher's up there saying, you better give or you're going to hell, or we're being coerced or our arms being twisted. That's not the kind of giving God wants. He wants cheerful giving. And the only way we can give cheerfully is when the condition of our heart is right. It's right with God, and our giving is dictated by what's going on on the inside. God's people, listen to me, God's people don't have to be poked, and they don't have to be prodded. They don't have to be coerced. They don't have to be begged to give. They give because they want to give. You know, I heard an old, a story, an old story about a, a church who was, it was in a rundown part of town, and they needed to build a new building in poverty-stricken, low-income area. But in that church, there was one very wealthy man who always sat on a prominent front-row seat, and they were trying to raise money to build this new church and doing their campaign. And so this rich man, he proudly stood up, and he said, I'll give $100,000 to build this new church. And he kind of proudly sits back down in his prominent position. And about the time he sits down, a tile from the roof broke loose and landed right on his head. And, he's, and he stood back up and he said, I'll give $200,000 to build this building. And he sits down, there's this silence, this quiet in the, in the church service. And from the back of the church, you hear this whisper, hit him again, Lord, hit him again. But God's people, they don't have to be coerced. They don't have to be prompted like that. We give because we want, we want to be involved in, in what God is doing. We want to be involved in, in Mexico. We want to be involved. We got the missionary. He's, he's in Henrietta tonight. But we want to be involved in what Hungary is doing, what's happening in Hungary and Romania. And I can't. there's another country that he uh, is a part of. But, but we love the work of God. And so it is a matter of the heart. And God loves a cheerful giver. And so let me, let me talk to you here for just a minute about economics, about money. Um, as I said, I've worked in, I worked in banks for a number of years. And, and money, is a, it intrigues me. There's, it's a very interesting thing. But money is a subject that we, that we often think about. We talk about it. We worry about it, don't we? We worry about money. We, we think about it. We were just talking about gas prices again. I mean, that's that's a conversation that seems to be coming up all the time. Bought gas yesterday, and it was three, I think it was three eighty four where I bought it, and 
you know, and I heard on the radio Sunday morning I was coming to church, I told somebody that they were predicting by the end of May, I don't know if it's true or not, but they're saying by the end of May, maybe diesel prices will be up at $6 a gallon, and by the end of the year, $8 a gallon, if that, that guy was right. So we're, we're talking about money, and, and we're thinking about money, and we, we go to the grocery store, and we see things just going up exponentially, and prices raising, and we're thinking about that. But it's not just gas and groceries. We, we can look around our community, and we can see poverty. I mean, McIntosh County is not a high e economic county. I mean, our median income is, is pretty low um, compared to other counties. Um, but we see poverty. We, we, we worry about bills, and we talk about paychecks, and, and then we also talk about government spending, you know. I, just get me on my soapbox, you know. I could talk about $30 trillion in debt, which is just because the government just keeps spending money. They just keep spending. But what I want to do here for just a moment is from a biblical perspective, I want to talk to us as individuals, not governments, not businesses, about what is the cause and what is the solution of shortages. Money. Talk to you about this for a minute, this, about scarcity, the scarcity of money. Because before the fall of man, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but before the fall of man in, in the garden, God created a world of abundance. He said, of all the trees in the garden, you can freely eat. Don't eat of the one tree of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But all the trees you can freely eat. There was abundance in the garden. But after the fall of men, it changed. And God said, now you're going to live by the sweat of your brow. You're going to till the ground. You're going to have to work. And it created economic problems. So now we have to work. We have to provide. And so we, have, we live in a different world than Adam and Eve did. But there are principles in the Bible that help us deal with shortage, with scarcity of money. And number one, I've, I've just got three here. Number one is work. It's work. And we all know this. I mean, I'm looking at a group of people that have work ethic. You, you folks work hard. Um, that is a biblical principle, isn't it? We're, we're supposed to work. Um, in the Bible, people who are able to engage in work, and they don't work, they are called sluggards. <laughs> they're sluggards in the book of Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, it talks about how sluggards, they're glued to their beds. They can't get out of bed. Sluggards, they make excuses for their laziness. And I've got references for all of these if you care to have them. Sluggards, they fail to begin tasks. And the tasks that they begin, sluggards fail to complete those tasks. These are lazy people. They don't want to work. Um, they're useless to the people that hire them. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says that if a man does not work, he, sh he should not eat. The Bible teaches a work ethic. So working is good. And one way that we deal with shortage or scarcity of money in our life is we work. 1 Timothy 5 and 8, Paul said, if a man does not provide for his own house, He's denied the faith, and he is worse than an unbeliever. Um, so I would say this, that for many people, the solution to the shortage, if there's a shortage of money, is just honest, consistent work. And that's what the Scripture teaches. If a person is able to work, I'm not being controversial here, but if a person is able to work, they shouldn't be living off government subsidies. And, and I know things got a little bit upside down 
a year or two ago when people started getting a lot of unemployment benefits, and then people, there, there was all this talk on the news about people who were getting more unemployment money than they could make on their jobs, so they weren't going back to work. But I'm going to tell you from a biblical, biblical perspective, if a person is able to work, they, they need to work as opposed to live off government subsidies. So God has um, given us in his word a way to deal with shortage. So here's another way. Here's another thing that the Bible, this is a biblical principle. It's saving money. It's to save. Um, and, again, Aubrey helped me with these, <laughs> with, with, our, um, with my slides, and I appreciate that. But the ant is our role model. Proverbs chapter 6 talks about the ant, and it says, Go to the ant, consider her ways, be wise which having no guide or overseer or ruler, listen to this, this is the way the ant does it. It provides her meat in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. So the ant is planning for days when there is not food. It's the principle of saving, Proverbs 30 and 25. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. A way to deal with scarcity or or a shortage of money is simply to save money. Um, it's not only work, but to save for save when you receive money so you have it when you don't. Uh, squirrels, there's a picture of the squirrel up there. They store up nuts for the winter, so we maybe we need to gather more nuts, so to speak. <laughs> We've been talking about Joseph in our life classes on Sunday morning, a great example. Joseph, who when he became the leader in Egypt or the, the next in charge in Egypt, he began planning for the days of a famine and he laid aside those provision for times of shortage saving is simply preparing for future scarcity that may come through predictable or unpredictable circumstances proverbs 21 20 there is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise but a foolish man spendeth it up in other words they spend everything they make, but the, the way to deal with shortage is to save. They store up for future need. And then 2 Corinthians 12, 14, the last one at the bottom of that slide, talks about how that parents should lay up for their children. So the third thing, so we've talked about working and saving. The third thing that the Bible gives us is giving. This is the third antidote or the third principle and how we deal with shortage or scarcity. You say, I, that doesn't make sense. If I'm short, why would I give? If, I'm, if, I, if money is scarce, why would I give? So here's the idea, is that giving relieves the shortage of other people. I'm talking about in the kingdom, in the church, giving relieves the shortages of others. So we're a body, we're a group of people, we work together um, Jesus is actually teaching this principle in Luke 6.38, a very familiar verse. Many people have quoted it over the years. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So here's the idea. I want to explain this for a minute. This is what this is talking about. In the kingdom of God, God's people are not supposed to be the people who always, always, always take, 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 take. And neither is it supposed to be where 
we're always giving, 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 giving. In the kingdom, we work together. So there may be times when we have abundance and we give. But there also may be times in our life when there's shortage, but we, people are going to bless us. That's what that verse is talking. Give and it shall be given unto you. Amen. That's, part, that's one of the great advantages of being in the kingdom of God. So if you want to learn to overcome shortage, learn to give. Because when you give when you have, the Lord has promised He's going to give back to you when you're short. The early church in the scripture set a pattern for weekly giving as part of their Sunday gatherings or their Sunday services. I, I, would, I would venture to say some people may have never stopped and read this portion of the scripture or looked at it very close. But Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse number 1, listen to this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. So Paul said, just like I told the churches at Galatia, I want you to do it here in Corinth. And if you go back and you read the, the letter to the Corinthians, it wasn't just to the Corinthians, it was to all the churches. He's writing to all the churches. And so he said this, verse number two. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whosoever shall, ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. So let me give you some points here, and Aubrey can help me. Giving is done to advance the work of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom, you can't stop the church, but God's kingdom moves forward when people give. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you can take the time and read the, those verses at your next opportunity. Giving is done, I'm talking about living generous here tonight. Giving is done to meet general needs. Paul said this, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. I thank God for the, the people in this church that bless other people. And I probably a lot of it goes on that I, it doesn't even cross my radar. I don't even know. But, but I know there are people in this church that help other people. You bless people. And so he said, as you have opportunity, do good unto all. Don't be a hoarder. Don't be, don't be stingy. Do good unto all men, especially them that are of the household of faith. Giving is to be done to meet the needs of the poor. We're not supposed to despise the poor. We're not supposed to look down at the poor. We're supposed to have show mercy to the poor. First um, John three seventeen. Whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Uh, this past week we got a thank you card. It's out on the bulletin board now, but it was from. Um, CSI, uh, Compassion Services International. Re you may remember after the war started in the Ukraine, our church re received an offering. We sent an offering for $1,000. Oh, it was a little over $1,000 to CSI. And, and they were helping the churches and the saints. In fact, Brother Patterson, our missionary, he told me this afternoon that he has made a couple of trips into the Ukraine, taking supplies. So he was a part of that also. But this church, we're, we're, we're doing what we can. We gave. We gave that offering. And so there's a card out there. You can read it that talks about it was a thank you card for, um, uh, for giving to that. 
But when we see a need, we don't say, I don't, I don't, I don't want to help. But if the need is presented, and if it's in our heart, say, I want to support the cause, we give cheerfully. I want to support. Early Christians, they gave generously. These verses are from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Everybody okay tonight? Everybody doing good? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the early Christians gave generously. They're giving, uh, Paul mentioned their liberality in verse number 2. And you can see the verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 2. The riches of their liberality. They gave generously. They gave sacrificially. Verse number 3 of that same chapter, he said, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and listen to this, beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Beyond their ability. They gave sacrificially. Verse 5 says that they, lets us know that they gave worshipfully. They first gave themselves to the Lord. And I would tell you tonight, this, the first thing is you have to give yourself to God. You have, that's, that's priority. But you, you fall in love with the Lord. You fall in love with God's work. And we give ourselves first to the Lord. Lovingly, verse number 7, they gave lovingly. And then, of course, they gave cheerfully or joyously that we read here in our text. And so considering all of the scriptures, all of these verses that talk about giving, it's obvious that giving is a matter, has always been a matter of our heart. Is it in our heart to give? I'm talking about living generously today. I'm not talking about being selfish. I'm not talking about being stingy. God's people are generous people. They love others. They care about others, and they are generous people. Amen. So let me talk here for just a couple of minutes about stewardship. Stewardship is the word that we often use to describe our relationship to money, our wealth. It's stewardship. Steward, to be a steward is to be a manager. It's one who acts as a supervisor or administrator of finances or property. So here's what I would say, that understanding stewardship is understanding ownership. Understanding stewardship is understanding ownership. Who, who really owns it all? Who does it really belong? Well, it's my money. I earned it. Who does it really belong to? Understanding stewardship is understanding ownership. A steward does not own the property. They just simply manage the property. If you go into a museum, a lot of times a museum will have a curator. A curator is the one who takes care of the masterpieces that are hanging on the wall. You walk in, you see a Van Gogh, or you see a Monet, or uh, you see some other painting, um, maybe by Andy Warhol or something, and you see that painting. The curator of the, ma the, the, the museum, their job is to watch over that piece, the masterpiece. Their job is to make sure that piece is safe. The curator can't walk over the wall and say, you know, that matches the decor in my home. That look, that'll look good with behind my couch and take it off the wall and take it home and hang it, on, hang it on the wall of the house. They can't do that because they don't own the painting. They're simply the steward of it. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. It all belongs to the Lord. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul said this to those in, in, in Athens. He said, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth and dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. And notice this, seeing he giveth to all life and breath 
in all things. God is the one who gives life, breath, and all things. Amen. God made the world. He made everything for his purpose, for his glory. Man's kind of got it messed up. Man thinks this world is here to serve them. They think it's all about them. People go to work and they were, well, bless God, I, I, I worked 55 hours this week. I earned this paycheck. This is my money. I put my time and my sweat and my tears and my expertise and this is my money. But who gave you the time? Who gave you the energy? Who gave you the knowledge? The, I'm tell, it all goes back to God. It, it's all about Him. This is what Paul, or this is what the Lord told His people in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8, 18. He said, But that thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. So the Lord instituted this thing called tithing. Tithing is returning to the Lord what he already owns. Tithing is saying, God, I acknowledge that you allowed me to work, that you blessed my life. You are acknowledging that God gave it to you. Tithing is our responsibility as a steward of what God already owns. Tithing is our duty as a child of God to invest in the kingdom of God. But I'm going to tell you tonight, tithing is not a grim duty. We don't hang our heads. We don't get upset. It's not this dry religious exercise. Oh, God, God, I've given the offering. Just keep your money. If you're grudgingly, if you're upset about it, don't give it because God's not going to bless that. But if it's in your heart, I love the kingdom. I want God's work to go forward. I want souls to be saved. This is the most important. Then you give. It's good because it gets in your heart. But if it's just a religious exercise, just a duty, but tithing, here's what tithing does. It is an opportunity that God gives to us to, to open the door of just tremendous benefits in our life. Tithing, tithing is God's idea. Some people say, well, tithing was just Old Testament. No, it wasn't just Moses' law. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. That happened years before Moses ever even came along. Jacob tithed. When you get to the New Testament, Jesus affirmed tithing. Jesus, whenever the, the hypocrites, the Pharisees, were paying tithe on all the little minor things and they were forgetting the weightier matters of the law, Jesus came along and said, he said, these things you ought to have done and not to leave the other done, undone. Um, Jesus affirmed tithing. But tithing isn't really giving, it's returning. It's saying, you know, God, you gave me this. And so I'm going to return 10%. That's what a tithe is. A tithe is 10%. It's returning to the Lord what already belongs to him. It's honoring the Lord through our giving. I'm talking about living generously. And you know, the Lord will bless that. Here's what Proverbs chapter 3 says. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with the, thy substance, with, all, with the first fruits of all thine increase. So that so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. See, here's the problem. Some people get into their mind, if I'll, if I'll give, if I'll tithe, God's going to make me rich. He never said he was going to do that. He said he's going to bless you. He's going to take care of you. Well, if I, you know, they, they, they get that, that TV preacher mentality. They hear those cuckoo, cuckoo, 
whatever they are, nuts on TV. They say, ah, play, give you a seed offering. And you, if you give a thousand dollars, God's going to give you a Rolls Royce or whatever s- silly thing they're saying. And I know that's kind of ludicrous. I mean, that's not a good illustration, but but that's what they're telling. They're pro- that's not that's not why we give. We give because we love God and we love his work and we love the cause of God. And we have the promise that God's going to take care of us, that God's going to bless our our, our finances. So honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruits of thy increase. God can cause our finances, and I believe this with all of my heart, God can cause our finances to go further than we ever could when we honor him with our 10%. God can take the 90% and make it go further and bless it. Oh, I just can't. I just, I just, I just, I just can't. How can you not afford to do it? Amen. Malachi 3, 8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing... See, there are spiritual ramifications to giving. God's going to pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And then look at this, verse 11. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast your fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Tithes and offering, they remove the curse. Many, many people have learned the blessing that comes on their life, on their family, on their home through their tithe and offering. God has blessed their homes. Tithing is what brings a blessing on the balance of our finances. For too many people, their money controls them. I shouldn't say their money. I should just say money controls them. For too many people, money is what controls their life. It's it's what they're focused on. It's the pursuit of it. But scripturally, we're taught to control money to be a steward of what God already owns. So here's the way I'll close tonight. According to the Bible talking about living generously here but let me put it all into perspective according to the bible there are there are a lot of things that are greater and more important than money look at these look at I, i came across these verses here as i was studying things that are greater than gold in the bible souls souls are more important to god than than gold righteousness living righteous it's more important to live right than to give up our standards and gain a little bit of money. Wisdom and understanding is greater than gold. A good name. Proverbs 22.1. The law of the Lord is greater than gold. Integrity is greater than money and riches and gold. Retaining your integrity. Proverbs 31.10. An excellent wife is greater. Her price is above rubies. Children are a heritage from the Lord, Psalm 127. And then Philippians 3, 7 and 9, knowing Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, it is so much more important to go after God than it is to go after a dollar. And if going after a dollar costs our relationship with the Lord, forget about the dollar and go after the Lord. Amen. It is so much more important to know God. Here's, Here's a couple of verses here to wrap up. Jeremiah, this is the way Jeremiah said it. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise... 
man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That's what it's all about. That he understands and knows God. That I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Amen. See, the world, they, they, they say, well, money, money will make you happy. And so the world has a system where they, 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 they try to communicate and sell this lie that money is our source of happiness. And if we don't have money, we're going to be sad. But if you'll just go after more money, if you'll be rich, you'll be happy. It'll, it'll be the end all. It'll make, you, it'll make all your problems go away if you'll just have more money. I've kind of bought into that lie in the past, but I don't anymore. I don't believe that because there's way too many rich people that are miserable, and that money has not made them happy. What makes people satisfied and where they find contentment is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm talking about living generous here tonight. The last two verses here I'll close out. I promise this is the last two. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7, 8, and 9, last three verses. This is a man named King Agor, Agur, that Solomon recorded his prayer, and he said this, Two things have I required of thee, deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanities and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of God. Amen. God helps us. God blesses us. God can use us. Amen. When we live generous. Amen. That's my desire. Amen. I thought of the song as I was praying before service. That the song we sung a few times, Falling in Love with Jesus. It is the best thing I've ever done. Amen. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, you fall in love with the Lord. You fall in love with what God's doing in his work. Amen. All that other stuff takes care of itself. Keep the priority right generous why don't we stand together amen is there anybody here that god has not provided every one of your needs is there anybody here that god has not met every one of your needs i don't don't see any hands amen i just believe and i'm convicted that god will always provide for his people always he is always faithful amen praise him with me would you lord jesus thank you i worship you lord today God, even when I've fallen short, even when, Lord, I have failed to be faithful, you have been faithful to me, and I worship you today. And, God, I give you glory and thanksgiving. And, Lord, I pray that you would just renew that zeal and that desire, oh, God, that love for you, for the things of God, for your word. Renew that passion, Lord, in me. That Lord, that, that first love. Oh, I worship you today, God, and want to do your will. want to be obedient to your word and your voice in my life. God, I pray you would bless this group of people, bless this church family, I pray, God, and use them to bless this community. Oh, God, we honor you. Pray your protection hand upon us. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. May God bless you tonight. Love and appreciate you. We have a a great church family. Amen. Let's go out and have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you Sunday, the Lord willing, in Jesus' name.